Welcome to Build Better, a podcast from Nadler Modular. The way we use buildings and space has changed forever. Where we work, learn, live, and play is evolving. But the one thing everyone will still need is space. The construction industry will need to adapt to meet those changes and challenges, ensuring that we do build better. The Build Better podcast will explore some of the developments in different sectors and the requirements they have for buildings and how they manage their need for space. In each episode, you'll hear conversations with people at the forefront of construction, manufacturing, educational, business, and others sharing their insight, commenting on trends, and giving expert analysis on the way we build. Now for your host, Vice President of Leasing at Nadler Modular, Tom Bosak. Enjoy the podcast. So thank you, Tom, for uh, joining the uh, Build Better podcast this morning. Uh, you know, our guest today is none other than Tom Hardiman, uh, without a doubt, the official spokesperson of the modular construction industry. Tom has done so much for this industry, 20 years as executive director uh, of the Modular Building Institute, co-owner, co-founder of the Offsite Construction Network, uh, executive director of the Modular Home uh, Builders Association, and a lot more. So basically, an icon in the industry. Uh, so we're very grateful, Tom, uh, for taking a few minutes. I know I have a very busy day today to talk about the, the modular construction industry. So so welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. I appreciate, uh, appreciate being here. Okay. So um, just wanted to take a few minutes um, and just talk about a little bit about the, the modular industry, kind of where it's been. Um, it's been quite a journey, um, especially over the last 20 years. Um, and kind of a little bit of a, a look ahead is kind of we're, you know, nearing the end of the year and, and we're thinking about 2024, right? What the modular industry has in store for us moving forward. But I think a good place to start would be um, if you could let us know um, really how you became interested in the modular industry 20, 25 years ago. Okay, sure thing. Um, so the Modular Building Institute has been around for 40 years, a little over 40 years. I've been the director since 2004, so right at 20 years now. Um, and just to be quite honest, I, I just stumbled into the industry. Uh, my background was in uh, trade association management. Okay. I ran a state chapter of uh, Associated Builders and Contractors prior to um, MBI hiring me in 2004 to take over uh, this position. I, I knew how to run trade associations. I knew, you know, all the basics of it. I knew nothing about modular construction at the time. Uh, what I'm finding out is every person we've subsequently hired here at MBI pretty much knows nothing about modular construction. They're very good at their ex areas of expertise, marketing, professional development, workforce development. But they, we had to teach them about the industry, and um, that was that's always a little bit of the, the hurdle because, as you know, um, just the terminology alone yep. it, it varies. So trying to get someone to understand what modular construction means, so that they can go out and be the advocates and, and the spokespeople, uh, takes takes a little time. It does. Um, having said that, um, you know, you mentioned I've been here twenty years. I picked up some of the terminology over that 20 years. I think I'm pretty good at it. Our team here, Stephen Williams, has been here 25 years. Wow. Our business development guy, Dave Secor, has been here 12 years. So we've got a very seasoned, experienced team here at MBI. So uh, I think that uh, has contributed to uh, to some of our growth in recent years. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that so many people kind of stumble on the industry. Um, you know, I began the industry in 2005. Um, I was uh, interviewing with GE Capital, and I thought I was interviewing for an asset management position on their over-the-road side of the business. Uh, in fact, it was on the on the modular side of the business, right? So <laughs> um, I, you know, quickly learned I had no idea there was such a huge industry um, you know, both on the leasing side and the, um, and the permanent side. So, um, and I think that's the case for a lot of people who like, that industry is that large and, and the answer is yes. And it continues to grow. So, um, it is, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people kind of joined that way. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you, it's a, sorry, a little bit of a secret, but, um, we're trying to get the word out. Yep. So, um, uh, you know, obviously you've been in the industry for a while. Um, what have been some of the, the biggest changes that you've seen, you know, over the past 20 years, you know, as you've been executive director of the MBI. Oh my goodness. Um, so many, yeah. um, when I started, uh, and I, I will belabor the point, talk about 2004 too much, but, um, uh, I walked into the office and they said, here's your budget for 2004. Uh, MBI had a uh, projected revenue of 800,000 in revenues but we're projecting $880,000 in losses. And I'm like, I'm not going to be around very long if we're going to lose 10% every year. Uh, we got to change some things. Yep. Um, so the other thing I was told was if anyone knows anything about the modular construction industry, it's negative. Uh, at the time, there was a lot, uh, we spent a lot of time dealing with negative press, particularly on the relocatable side of the business, the fleet side of the business. There was a lot of headlines about, you know, moldy classrooms and, uh, you know, just how inferior these products were. And we spent a lot of time just dispelling a lot of bad information that was circulating about about that. Yep. I would say really the first five, six years of, of, of my tenure here at MBI was focused a lot on a uh, stabilizing the trade association itself. Um, I bring a very entrepreneurial attitude, even to nonprofit management. It's like you got to bring in more revenue than, <laughs> than expenses that are going out the door. It's kind of basic, um, but but also kind of dealing, building up that that reputation and that image of what modular is and what it can be. Um, right. But really, within the last, I'd say six, seven, eight years, Tom. It's just been phenomenal, the, the, the level and degree of change, and we'll get into some of that in a bit. But, um, you know, our, our association, the membership size has uh, nearly, well, tripled wow. over the last uh, seven years. The market share for the, for the industry in North America has more than tripled in the last seven years. Um, you know, we're, we're now a, about a $4 million organization. We've, we've uh very financially sound and we've got money to reinvest back into our industry. And just this past year, our board of directors voted to create four new positions here at MBI. One of which we're really excited about is a professional and workforce development director. Okay. We've got all four of those spots filled. Uh, so we're fired up and ready to go for 2024. When I'm sure we'll touch on some of those big changes that have happened really within the last five, six, seven years. Yeah. So what is the, um, the responsibility of that, the role uh, with the workforce development? Well, we've, we've always had a professional development committee. 
uh, that's been tasked with, you know, what are the training needs of our members? And, and it's, um, you know, who, who do we want to do breakout sessions at our conferences? What type of webinars do we want to do? And, and that's always, that's important. Yep. But we've never had someone focused on what I think is the number one, two, three problem with every company is how do we find, attract, and retain employees, yep. uh, the workforce, so whether it's in the factory or your salespeople or project management or estimators, it is hard to find people. And once you find them, train them and keep them right. and make them you know, productive members of your team. So we now have a director level staff person here at MBI that's going to be focusing on, on just that. Um, how do we work with Votech schools? How do we work with colleges and universities? Um, we're talking about possibly implementing a modular manufacturing apprenticeship program um, in the factories uh, to just have a formalized training process, a career path, multiple career paths in our in our industry that, again, I don't think a lot of young people know about this industry. Yep. Uh, and if they are, they just might think it's construction and I'm not interested. We need to... Uh, really tell them how cool this industry is and all the stuff we're building and how we build it. There's a cool story to be told. I think, uh, you know, the environmental advantages and, and, and safety advantages, I think there's a good story to tell. And, and that's what we want to do yeah. is get out there and tell our story and um, start attracting people to this industry. Yeah, it is. It's, um, I agree. It is a, it's a, it's a phenomenal story to tell. And um, I think we have to do a better job of, of telling that story, you know, especially, um, you know, at colleges and universities, right, to get people interested in, in this side of the construction industry. Um, you know, as you know, we the industry as a whole has been growing. Um, you know, it's very important. It's become more difficult to attract top talent. And then even with now they're modular as we grow um, and as we look for talent. Right. I mean, it's, you know, the baseline here is that unless they're going to come from another um, modular company, right, um, we're not going to be able to find anybody with, you know, experience um, in the industry, right? So, which is fine. And if you have somebody who's very good at their, at what they do, right, um, but it does become a lot more strain on the business to be able to train that person properly. So, yeah, this is, this is fantastic. And I think really, really needed as we continue to kind of grow moving forward. So that's awesome. It, it, it is. We're, we're not going to grow as an industry if we can't uh, attract workers to it, you know, like you like you alluded to. We're just going to keep uh, trading workers, yep. you know, borrowing from other companies back and forth. We need a, a more formalized uh, training process, program onboarding process for, for new employees in this space. Yep. Agreed. That's great. Yeah. So I think just mentioning, you know, it's it's towards the end of the year, time to reflect on uh, 2023 and what's coming ahead. So um, I'll just ask, you know, what do you think was the biggest advancement uh, in the modular industry in 2023? And um, what are you most excited about in 2024? I, I don't think I'm uh, overstating this. I think 2023 was the best year for the trade association we've ever had. Awesome. And again, I've been doing it 20 years. There were so many positive headlines, and I'll rattle off a few of them. Um, you know, our, our our annual conference, our World of Modular Conference in March, 1,500 people attended that. That's, that was by far a record. We had 1,000 the year before, so 50% growth in attendance for our conference. Big headline for us. Uh, we hired, I alluded to, we hired four new staff people here at MBI. Okay. 
in part because we're able to use some of the, the resources from the conference success and say, let's reinvest this and put more resources back into the industry. So that was a big headline. Um, our, of course, you know, how could you talk about the year we have without mentioning we defeated uh, the ex proposed expansion of Davis-Bacon, federal Davis-Bacon rates back into our factory. Yeah. And for the listeners who are wondering what the heck does that mean, there's a federal law. If you do a federal project, you have to pay federal construction rates for that project. And the Department of Labor proposed picking up those on-site construction trade rates and dropping them in our factories. Um, and it, for anyone that knows anything about a modular factory, it's not exactly like a, a construction site. That separation of trades isn't as clean and neat as it would be, say, on a site. Um, so we were able, it took us a year, um, we, we hired a, a very powerful lobbying firm in D.C. We fought this thing. Uh, our belief was if that expansion was, was allowed to go through and Davis-Bacon rates applied in our factory, it would have cost our industry about $2 billion worth of opportunities, yeah. federal opportunities, because yeah. a lot of people would have just walked away from it. It would have been way too cumbersome to try to remain compliant with construction law that was dropped into manufacturing. Uh, so defeating Davis-Bacon, biggest legislative uh, regulatory victory we've ever had. And then I got one more, if that wasn't enough. In um, September, our board of directors voted to uh, approve what we're calling our Modular Advocacy Program, or MAP. And basically, that is a multi-year, multi-million dollar campaign that we're just going all in on this and saying we need to double our marketing efforts into you know reaching more owners, developers, government agencies. We need to always be out there vigilant to remove any barriers to our industry, whether it's regulatory, building codes, legislation. We need to be creating new opportunities for this industry. Um, we now have housing authorities and government agencies coming to us saying, how do we use modular uh, to, to address our needs. And then that fourth piece, which I already alluded to, is we've got to address uh, our workforce situation. So we're putting a lot of resources into those four areas, the additional marketing, workforce development, removing barriers and creating new opportunities. It's going to be a big campaign. It's going to be industry-wide. We need all the industry support on this that we can get. Um, and we'll be rolling out more communication and information on that. Um, you know, in the coming months. months. Yeah, that's great. I think, um, you know, I think most people don't realize how successful that you and the MBI have become, you know, um, challenging, uh, you know, some of these building codes and, and other statutes, you know, either at the federal, state or local level. Um, I, I don't think that our industry would be, would look what it looks like now if it wasn't for that work, right? So, um, you know, do you see that, you know, you know, this one was, I guess, specifically more at the federal level, level but at the <clears throat> state and local levels, have you started to see, um, you know, these entities feeling different um, about modular and offsite? Um, uh, do you think you think the sea is changing here? Or do you think there's going to continue to be the, the fight to keep modular, um, you know, a, an option for everything? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I'm the eternal optimist every year. I'm like, okay, yep. this is the year it's just going to, you know, the, the wave's going to just, it's going to bust open. 
and, and it's it's never been just this sudden breakthrough. It's been slow incremental improvements over time. Um, and I'm you know fortunate that that the, the leadership of MBI has has given us time to uh, keep on this on this path. But yeah. um, you know it's it's been incremental gains. But I do see there is much more willingness on the part of state state and local uh, policymakers instead of just immediately dismissing us or passing laws without even thinking about us. Yeah. Now they're reaching out to us. They're they're starting to reach out to us and say, hey, you know. We understand that modular could play a bigger role in our um, housing shortage. Yep. That's a big one. Every state, uh, local, everyone has housing shortages, uh, affordable housing issues. And not that, you know, we're going to go build cheap modular homes everywhere, but our industry could play a bigger role, uh, particularly in that multifamily space. Uh, yep. which is the biggest and fastest growing market for our industry, by the way, in the last three years. I think that's where we can say, you know, state of Virginia is the first state to officially adopt and implement um, two new industry standards that we worked on with ICC. Um, going to these states and saying, we can help you with some of these infrastructure and building issues if your regulations were a little more business friendly. Uh, so that gets our foot in the door and we can start saying, you know, uh, maybe you need to utilize more third party inspection agencies instead of having a staff of two people trying to review and approve everything. Um, anything we can do on the front end to reduce um, that bureaucracy and that paperwork and that time to where the factory gets to start building, that's what we're working on because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on the front end. Um, and if we're selling speed to completion and schedule certainty, the tighter we can get that front end process and get things rolling, I think it's going to benefit everybody. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. I think, you know, probably, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of work on the lobbying side, um, you know, was, you know, really protecting the, the modular industry, yes. right? The, the traditional construction, obviously, they felt a little bit threatened, right? They're trying to make sure that they keep you know, keep modular at bay. But to your point, when it's, when they start realizing that modular can solve a lot of their problems or be a part of that. And I think that really chart, you know, changes what they think about modular, which is great. And that's all the work that, that you and your teams have been doing to kind of get to that point. That was, I mean, 15, 20 years ago, that was never the case. They weren't looking to see how modular could, could help them. Right. So that's awesome. No, it was, uh, very reactive in our government affairs efforts in those early years. Uh, but more recently, uh, you know, uh, Hawaii, you know, Lanai, 2,000 homes destroyed. Right. Uh, Hawaii has historically been uh, very pro-union, um, which means modular generally didn't gain a foothold there. The regulations are very strict. Uh, but there is no way they can rebuild 2,000 homes with on-site labor in Hawaii. Um it's hard to find a contractor now, let alone when 2,000 of your neighbors are calling at the same time. So we are working uh, with the state uh, to open up the regulations, allow more modular construction. Um, and it's not a competitive thing. It's not either modular or site built. As you know, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on site, even with the modular project, yeah. the foundations, the utility hookups, the, you know, mainline, everything. Um, so I think we can work with 
site built construction, union and non-union, um, and meet some of these needs in a more efficient and cost-effective manner than someone just, you know, just ignoring us as a possible solution or a partial solution. So we're, we're seeing more and more of that, that we're not coming to take your job, but we're coming uh, maybe as a partner. As a partner. Uh, yeah. That you didn't think about before. Yeah, and that's it's not either or, right? It can be, there's definitely collaboration and, and ways to work together mm-hmm. to provide a better product to the customer. At the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do, right? Um, Absolutely. Which is great. Um, so, yeah, let's just uh, uh, quickly talk a little bit about or more about the the modular construction side, the, you know, the, the offsite piece, um, you know, a lot of us know the benefits, right? It's, um, you know, typically a lot faster, a lot of cases, uh, it can be less expensive, produces a lot less waste, um, uses less labor. Obviously there's been a labor shortage the last couple of years. Um, so a lot of positives there and you can feel free to add to those if I missed any, um, but it's always been one of the common arguments against the modular construction industry has been the perceived lack of architects uh, that are on board because it potentially limits their options or creativity. And I do think that's starting to change. I think there's a little bit of truth to that, but I think it's you know widely overblown. Um, but you have you started to see this perception starting to change? Yeah, more more so than that. Um, okay. If you're an architect and you don't know anything about modular construction, you are missing out. Yeah. Um, you know, again, five, six years ago, uh, we were taking our marketing dollars and spending it to try to educate architects. Uh, like we've got to break through to these guys. We've got to break through to these guys um, with varying degrees of success. What's happened in the last, you know, again, five, six, seven years, architects are joining MBI. They're paying us dues to belong to our organization so that they can better understand this industry and start connecting with owners, developers, contractors, manufacturers. We now have 60 architect firms that are members of MBI. It's 10% awesome. of our membership is architect firms. That's probably the largest so it's ever been, right? Are saying, yeah. Absolutely. If any of your listeners are saying, we cannot find an architect that understands modular, come to our website. We've got a list of them. Um, more and more, they're, they're getting it. It's not... Uh, you know, this notion that it limits their creativity and their design capabilities, that's bunk. Yep. Uh, the outside of the box can look like whatever you want it to look like. Uh, we have architects on our board of directors. You know, th- we're trying to blend a manufacturing process that's efficient uh, with a construction process that historically isn't efficient. But everyone still wants nice looking, quality, safe buildings. So, you know, there's again this. Uh, this dance or this marriage that needs to happen, but just to dismiss us as not a viable solution is, uh, you know, you're doing so at your own peril. Uh, we've got we've got architect firms that would love to talk to owners and developers about a modular yeah. solution. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. Um, so you talked a little bit about the really tremendous growth um, in the modular industry the last five, six, seven years. Um, you know, especially on the on the permanent construction side. Um, so do you think that growth is a continue at the same pace moving forward, you know, over the next five years? And, you know, what are going to be some of the drivers behind that? That is the case. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not planning on going anywhere uh, unless, you know, somebody hasn't told me something. Um, <laughs> I don't think if, if you asked 10 people in our industry or 100 people or 1,000 people, do you think the construction labor 
shortage is going to get better or worse in the next five years? I would say almost all of them say it's going to get worse. Worse, yeah. More seasoned, skilled people are retiring and fewer are entering this workforce. You think it's hard getting a contractor now? Wait for five years. It's going to be impossible. Uh, PSA, uh, put your kids in trade school, you know, uh, instead of college. So the, the labor constraints are going to increase, in my opinion. We as a nation, and the same thing in Canada, are not good at meeting our affordable housing needs. We fall further and further behind each year because we keep putting out the same, you know, low income tax credits, the same programs and incentives that have got us into this mess are the same programs and incentives that are gonna continue to keep us in this mess. So again, we need, uh, and we're talking to federal at, at HUD, we're talking to state housing authorities about incorporating more modular construction. Um, so I think the housing demand is is, is going to be there. Yeah. Uh, the labor shortage is going to be there, not to mention all the other infrastructure needs we have with, uh, boy, COVID really, really highlighted uh, an infrastructure weakness across our country. Uh, healthcare, we were woefully unprepared for that COVID uh, outbreak in terms of just space, yeah. you know, to treat people. Um, so we saw a lot of healthcare, temporary healthcare clinics popping up. We did a lot of those. Um, education, we have a lot of aging uh, school infrastructure out there. Um, so there's so many drivers you can point to that are gonna say, um, yes, uh, I think this growth is gonna continue. And then I just step back from my role as, you know, <clears throat> the paid spokes guy here, who's obviously gonna say good things about our industry. Every other industry has moved in this direction and construction's been very slow to industrialize or modernize the way we do things. It has to happen. Yep. Uh, we have to start figuring out a way to build our buildings with less labor hours than we did before because yep. the labor just isn't going to be there. Yep. So I'm, I think it's just completely inevitable. It may not be modular, but it'll be some form of off-site, panelized, industrialized process that everyone is going to have to embrace to some degree. Yeah, I so, agree. I yeah, definitely think there's a, a shortage and, uh, you know, of, uh, uh, sorry, there's definitely a gap in the, the infrastructure needs, um, you know, throughout the U S and, and really the world. And, you know, we have to come up with ways to be more efficient, to be less costly, use less labor and, you know, modular offsite, I think can be a very successful option at trying to fill some of that gap. Right. So, um, it's, it's kind of, you know, excited to, you know, thinking about that kind of moving forward. So, so let's, uh, quickly then switch over to the, to the leasing side of the business. Um, you know, Nadler modular has, uh, you know, been on the permanent side for, uh, about 45 years, just in the past year. Um, you know, we've, uh, uh, really, um, invested heavily into the leasing side of the business, um, trying to create a very good, um, you know, customer experience uh, uh, for our customers. Um, but in the last three, four, five years, there's been a lot of consolidation on the leasing side of the mm -hmm. business. We all know, you know, where that consolidation has taken place. But um, how do you think that consolidation has impacted the, the leasing side of the industry? Yeah, great question. And you're right. Uh, there has been a lot of consolidation. Um, again, going back, you know, five or so years ago, we had, uh, I believe it was 80, uh, companies in our membership that were fleet owners, companies um, 
similar to yours and, you know, the Will Scotts and Mod Space and yeah. Vanguards and Black Diamond, all those guys. Uh, we now have 45 uh, yeah. companies. Uh, the fleet size has not gotten any smaller. In fact, it's grown, right. but the number of companies controlling that fleet has definitely uh, been cut in half in terms of our membership. A um, couple of things I think it's done. Um, it it doesn't seem to have impacted, you know, no one company has a monopoly in any market because, you know, the country it's a big country. There's there's regional markets, and within any region, there's enough competitors uh, that the customer still has choices. So I still think, uh, it, you know, sounds, you know, a little corny, but it still boils down to who can provide the best customer service, who has the best product, you know, at, at the right price and, and, and availability on that fleet side. It's, I need this space, I need it now, I need it to be, you know, nice, safe space, um, who can deliver that for me? Right. Um, and then that's, you know, I think those companies that are um, able to maintain great customer relationships are still gonna to continue to thrive. Um, where this is heading, I'm not sure. It's, it, it seems like, um, you know, I think the consolidation is going to continue um, over the next couple of years. Um, there are still um, a lot of smaller, regional, you know, family-owned type businesses out there that some of them are acquiring even smaller companies. Some of them are being acquired. So it's it's uh, it's interesting times on the fleet side of the business. But it does seem like it has uh, maybe stabilized some of the the rental pricing out there or. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I guess with some consolidation, there's opportunity for, for, for that to happen. But, uh, right. you know, that's just kind of what we're seeing. But it's still extremely viable business, extremely important business. Uh, you think of disaster uh, relief. There's no way. I mean, disaster hits, you know, look at what happened in Tennessee this, this past week. How many homes are destroyed? How many businesses are destroyed? You need space. For the volunteers and the police and the firefighters to operate out of that's our industry we can have space on the ground in days not months not years we can build healthcare clinics for you know temporary healthcare clinics we can build food distribution centers you know so we are great uh when people need us the most and that is we need quick space we need some doesn't always get the headlines yeah. um or the credit but that's what we're really good at is responding in times of crisis. In my 20 years, we've done it dozens of times. Our industry stepped up and provided quick space. But um, and then the base, you know, uh, school swing space, uh, construction swing space, all those needs that people have. This industry has been able to step in and fill them uh, very uh, effectively. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think um, the consolidation, I think so far, has been a positive. Um, but I do still believe there are, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of competitors, you know, smaller, local, regional. Um, so there's still a significant about, amount of competition. I would say that um, I feel the overall customer, the, the person who wants a modular building, uh, is looking for a, a better building, um, is looking for one that's a good environment to be able to work in, one that can be a little bit more efficient. Um, I do think the industry has done some things there to make that happen, but I think there's a little bit more uh, to be able to do there to, to make a maybe even more sustainable type building, uh, things like that. At the end of the day, it also comes down to what they can afford and want to spend on. 
Um, but I think that's a that's a good trend too. Is you know trying to come, you know continually improve the modular building. It seemed like for you know 15, 20 years it was the same building that was built for that you know over that period. Now we're starting to see some of the technological advancements coming in. All the LED lighting, a lot more options, modular walls. You know all the you know um, furniture that can be delivered uh, on time to get that building ready in day one. So. Um, again, it's to me, it's all about that, you know, that customer experience. What is the what does the customer want? Making sure that uh, the companies can be very um, consistent um, and, and really provide a simple, you know, solution for, for the customer, which is which is very important. Um, and that really kind of leads into the, the last question I had was um, and we already talked about this a little bit. But, um, you know, do you think that the industry can do a better job? Um, providing a better customer experience. And, you know, part of that also is around, um, you know, are the companies doing enough really to further the merits of yeah. the modular industry with their customers, right? So it's kind of little two pieces there, but kind of what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. I'm going to circle back to one more thing on the fleet, then I'll answer that one. Sure. Um, from, from a business perspective, you know, the yeah, you're right. They've got to focus on the customer, but on the business side, um, you know, we, these companies that are members of MBI, you know, they have this asset and they want to be able to lease it to a customer and after two, three, four years, bring it back, clean it up and lease it to another customer. Yep. So these assets typically have a long, useful life as long yep. as they're being you know, properly maintained. Uh, the challenge for our industry has always been when you take it from one customer and move it to a second location, the code official there doesn't understand. They're like, this is a new building bring it up to the new codes. And, we're, and we always fight to say that's an existing building. Yeah. Uh, it was already. So one of the things MBI did, and again, it, it seems like it kind of went under the radar. We changed the building code, the IBC. We added a section in the IBC specifically for relocatable buildings to say if it's newly constructed, it has to meet the new building codes. But if it's an existing one that's already been used and a, a permit's already been pulled, you don't have to bring it up to the new codes. You just have to meet those site conditions, right. wind, right. snow, seismic conditions, obviously. So that little couple paragraphs in the building code really serves to protect the investment from this industry to the tune of billions of dollars. So that, that was crucial, I think, in the growth of this industry. So I wanted to get that little plug in for the fleet side of the business. Um, but back to your question about can we do better? Yeah, I think we can. I'm a big believer in uh, continuous improvement. We can always find areas for improvement. We do that here at MBI. I drive my staff crazy. <laughs> you know, we have the conference. Everyone's on this, you know, emotional high at the end of the conference, and it went great and went great. And on the plane ride home, I'm like, write down everything that worked and everything you want to change next year. I'm yeah. like, Seriously? You know, yeah, I know. <laughs> we just spent a week <laughs> busting our tail, and you want us to write down everything that went wrong. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, uh, now that it's fresh in your mind. And before you forget. And, and, yeah. For, and again, yeah. Whatever it is. Uh, registration lines. Were they too long? Do we need a fifth line? You know, whatever. So I think applying that mentality, I'd love for all of our members to apply that continuous improvement mentality. We're still, I think, struggling, walking the line between are we manufacturing? Are we construction? We're a little of both. I would like to see our industry embrace more manufacturing principles and ideas, lean manufacturing, just, you know, continuous improvement, um, 
just to squeeze all the efficiency we can out of this process yep. because I don't think we are yet. Um, I think we could be much more efficient, much more productive, increase our capability and capacity without necessarily opening more factories. Um, and then that's kind of internal. Externally, I think we can all do a much better job of, of marketing the advantages of, of modular. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of our company websites and they're great. And some of them are like, Ugh, that's not so great. Yeah. You know, just that message we can all put out there, that consistent message. Um, and something that's really resonating, it's always been an advantage of modular, but, you know, everyone talks about the speed. Uh, a lot of people talk about the budget certainty. Uh, it is a much safer construction process, and that's starting to get a little traction. Yep. And we know it's much uh, more environmentally friendly. There's yep. much less waste generated with this process, and that is really gaining traction. Um hate to say it, but the, the younger generation seems to be way more tuned into environmental impacts than, say, you know, my generation was. Um, yeah. And that's going to matter. Um, what's the carbon footprint of that building? What's the operating efficiency of that building? You know, those are questions that, yeah, we, we think we do better, but uh, we're starting to invest in research to prove those points. We've got prove a, those uh, points, yeah. a study right now Colorado State's working on. I wanted to know measure the amount of waste generated from building a, a multifamily project conventionally, exact same project using modular, tell me the amount of waste difference. They're working on yeah. that. They're going to report their findings in March at our World of Modular Conference. So um, I, I want to have academic research done to validate what I know are our advantages. I yeah, I, I agree. I, not, Tom. I felt no, like no, you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that is a very good point about the, um, you know, the environmental sustainability piece of modular, um, and using that to, you know, attract some of the younger generation, um, you know, being able to get some of the, the colleges and universities invested in that a little bit too. Right. Um, so I think that's a, uh, that's a, you know, a great angle there. So, um, totally agree. And I love the fact, I mean, I'm all about, you know, um, facts, data, you know, um, so that we can pre prevent that and, or present that and say, look, this is exactly what the benefits are of doing a, you know, apples to apples comparison of a project. Right. So I think that's, that's really, really good. So, um, yeah. And you touched on the, uh, the universities, uh, we're seeing more and more universities that are teaching or at least introducing the idea of modular and off-site construction in their, you know, architect class, construction management classes, engineering classes, uh, design competitions. So we're seeing more of that and that's going to bear fruit uh, in the near future as well. Gotcha. That's great. So Tom, that's, uh, that's uh, all the questions I had for you today. And I just wanted to say thanks again for um, taking the time to, to chat about the industry. Um, you know, I definitely feel this way, and I know the entire modular industry really appreciates your leadership and what MBI is doing to, to grow and further the industry. Um, it's so much different than it was 20 years ago, and um, it's really an exciting time to be, um, you know, part of a modular company or an industry. So we just thank you. Thank you very much for, for all the efforts that you put forth. So um, thank you. Well, thank, thank you for having me on the, uh, the podcast today. And um Thanks for letting me, uh, you know, get up here and tell all these great things about our industry. We've had 
the benefit of great uh, leadership and support of great companies like yours over the years that's allowed us uh, to continue growing. So we appreciate uh, your support. Awesome. Thanks. We'll uh, talk soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for listening to Build Better, a podcast from Nadler Modular. Remember to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes.